Toby Passman is the founder of Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro, a company that specializes in neurophysiology. This episode, you'll learn how to optimize your brain function, as well as some body hacks for better brain performance. Neurophysiology kind of being the integrating the fields of kind of neuroscience with like physiology and, and human anatomy and physiology. So kind of studying the, the functioning and anatomy of the nervous system. Right. And is this like kind of like prosthetics or is it more like kind of like sciencey based thinking or activities you undertake? Like what exactly is it? So there's, there's definitely different, lots of different kind of uh, areas of neurophysiology, but what I'm specifically, what I've kind of dedicated my whole career to and how I got my start into this whole space was working at uh, an EEG lab. Right. And EEG stands for an electroencephalogram, mm-hmm. which is basically the, the technology kind of looks like a swim cap. Uh, it has a bunch of electrodes on it that enables us to actually record someone's brainwave activity. Right. So that technology is sort of how I got my start into the field of neurophysiology. So basically looking at the electrical rhythms of the brain and how that correlates to a lot of different uh, kind of behaviors, thoughts, emotions, all that kind of stuff. Right. And this is not completely new types of technology that's being used, but from what I can gather is at the moment, we are like on the the boundary of a, of a major breakthrough with things like Neuralink that Elon Musk is working on and, and stuff like that. Yeah, no, I, I completely second that. Uh, the technology, you're right, it, it is nothing new, um, any of the technology that I work with, but it's gotten better and better kind of, you know, as the decades have progressed. So for instance, with like an EEG, the first EEG ever recorded, I believe, was in like the 1930s. Mm. So it's a technology that that is certainly nothing new. We've known that we can study the electrical rhythms of the brain for a while. But what is new is they've started, uh, there's a computerized kind of algorithm that enables that raw EEG data, which will just kind of show up as these little squiggly waveforms. So mm. it, you're just kind of like looking at, at little kind of squiggles and that might not mean, you know, it might mean something to me, you know, researching it, mm. but for just someone who's, who's trying to understand what their brain is doing, that might not really mean a ton. Yeah. So with the, the, this kind of computerized algorithm that transforms the data into these uh, kind of 2d brain maps, yeah. which, which are kind of like heat maps where you can actually visualize the electrical activity of the brain and see if someone's overproducing, underproducing a certain brain wave and what area of the brain that's occurring in. So it's able, we're able to get more and more precise measures looking at other things, how different kind of hubs of the brain are communicating with each other, whether kind of the speed of communication is, is too fast, too slow. There's so many different metrics that we can now look at that used to never really be available. So, so that's just kind of an example of how the technology's progressed. Yeah. And what kind of waves are we looking at here? Cause I know there's like beta waves, theta uh-huh. waves. What, what are the type, how many waves are there that your brain produces? So the, the four main ones that I usually talk about, there's Delta, which is the slowest of the brain waves, which we usually see in like really deep restorative sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's Theta, which has okay. kind of the been described as sort of the bridge between the conscious and unconscious mind. 
it's kind of like a dreamy sort of deep meditative sort of state. Yeah. Uh, then, then we have alpha, which is sort of an idling rhythm of the brain. Uh, it's sort of just a nice, relaxed, peaceful state. It's also kind of when, if you've heard or listeners have heard of like the flow state that yeah. people is, is kind of popular to talk about. That's, that's kind of an alpha state where your brain kind of drops into this kind of focused, but relaxed zone. Mm. And then what uh, the fastest of the brainwaves usually talk about is, is beta, mm. which is really involved in like cognitive processing, thinking, uh, you know, long-term planning, decision-making, all that. Uh, a lot of those sort of executive function functioning of the brain takes place in, in the beta brainwave spectrum. So we're kind of assessing all of these different brainwaves and, and looking at, you know, based on what someone is describing as far as their symptoms or what they're hoping to improve, uh, we look and see, okay, you know, does what is what they're talking about associated maybe with some dysregulation in one of these brain waves in a specific area of the brain or a specific connection between two areas, you know? Yeah. Can, can outside influences interfere with your brain waves? So, you know, there's, there's yes. a, a big, massive amount of people that complain about mobile phones and Wi-Fi yes. networks and all these types of things. So these things can have an effect on your brain waves. They, they can. So, so the way I'd answer that is there's definitely like, we have to be careful when we're recording in EEG, mm. there's a, what's called artifacts, mm. which are non-brain electrical activity that the EEG can pick up. Yeah. So for instance, like if you, if there was like a refrigerator, yeah. right. Like it could, it could pick up that sort of electrical frequency of the refrigerator if it was pretty close to where you had the the EEG set up mm. and it would actually create interference in the recording. Yeah. As far as whether that's actually like altering the actual brain waves, I don't think so as much, but um, yeah, I mean, definitely things in our environment certainly do, do affect our brain waves, but uh, yeah, the electrical, you know, I, I know there's a lot of people talking now about like uh, what is it? EMFs, mm. like the electrical magnetic frequencies and how they can be, you know, pretty harmful to the brain, like specifically, like that's why they say, you know, don't like hold a, hold a cell phone right up to your ear because, mm. because that kind of electrical frequency actually can get sort of uh, transmitted, I guess, to the brain. Yeah. I don't know quite as much about all of that stuff, but, but yeah, yeah, there, there's something there. Okay. Fair enough. And I, I don't know if you're the right person to ask about this, but seeing as we're talking about frequencies and it's kind of already there, you know, there's a big kind of movement right now about, you know, 440 hertz and 432 hertz in music. Do you know much about that or is that something you've not heard much about? I really don't know too much about that. I, I'm assuming, is that like, a, like, are you seeing that like YouTube videos where they... So yeah, I, no, in my degree, I, I studied music and there was a big kind of push amongst the kind of woke you know, oh, wellness people that they said, you know, the tuning that we use for music, which is 440 is actually like jarring to our body's natural vibration or whatever. And, you know, I guess vibrations are waves and that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's basically saying that 432 kind of meshes better with your body's natural waves and all that kind of stuff. So I thought maybe it would have an effect on your brain waves or something like that. It, so there definitely is something to that, like the technology, which mm. is like binaural beats, yeah. which it definitely, that, that technology can significantly alter the electrical firing of our brain. Yeah. 
Um, as far as that specific frequency, I so I'm not sure that that even like from my understanding of binaural beats, yeah. it basically is like one. There, there's say it would be like 430 in the left ear, mm-hmm. and then like four 440 hertz on the right ear. Right, like the the difference. So so then what the brain, from my understanding of what happens, the brain gets entrained to the like if you subtract the higher or the lower value from the higher value. Yeah. So 440 minus 430, then you'd have like a 10 Hertz alpha rhythm. Right. So, so when someone says like, or when, when one of these videos says like, you know, a 340, 440, mm. I'm not sure that that completely makes sense. Com- like based on my understanding of this, but I, I, that really is not my strong area of expertise, but I'm always a bit skeptical. No, yeah. I was, I'm yeah. just curious because obviously if you're there and you're analyzing brainwaves and capturing that data, I was wondering, you know, how wide or how kind of out there the knowledge kind of went. But so when you're recording this data, what, what kind of things are you looking for in it? What, what's the telltale signs of, you know, something that is of interest to you? Mm-hmm. So oftentimes uh, slowing of the brain uh, brainwave activity, we can see, so usually, uh, you know, say you and I right now, and most of our listeners kind of, you know, we're all kind of focused, paying attention to the conversation. We're mostly producing beta brainwaves. That's kind of our day-to-day kind of waking rhythm. Mm. But for certain individuals, some people, you know, who, who have uh, depression or ADHD or uh, potentially traumatic brain injuries, mm. we might see a slowing Mm. of those. So, so when someone is being, when their electrical activity is being measured, they're just kind of sitting in a chair, kind of staring at a point on the wall Yeah. Um, for the eyes open, we'll do an eyes open and then an eyes closed recording. Right. But if we see for the eyes open recording, if we see, you know, that the beta brain waves are very, very high frequency and low amplitude, mm. meaning they're very, they're very fast little squiggles that we see. Yeah. Whereas, whereas some of the slower brain waves, you know, we're seeing a much higher frequency or sorry, uh, a much higher amplitude mm. and slower frequency wave. Yeah. So, so if we see slowing in a certain brain area or just slowing throughout the cortex overall, that can be really, uh, you know, significant and something that, you know, we, we, you know, could, could immediately pick up as being significant. Um, and then kind of on the opposite side of that, if we see a lot of what are called beta spindles, which are a lot of like bursts of these uh, very high frequency, uh, fast uh, beta brain waves, yeah. that can often indicate that someone's nervous system is kind of in a, a state of hyper arousal. Right. So we'll often see, you know, people with like PTSD, OCD, anxiety, who just have all of these beta spindles, which is basically the the brain just pumping out way too much of that high frequency brain wave. So based on you know kind of then what we're seeing that that gate basically gives us a roadmap of okay is the brain working too hard? Is it working too slowly? Uh, and where what what's where is that activity going on? Mm. And then we can work on altering that activity with some of the, the neuromodulation technologies that I work with. Yeah. So these neuromodulation technologies, are they to improve your brain function? Yes. And how do you improve your brain function? 
So the technologies, I mean, we could start with say neurosimulations, one of my favorites, because it it kind of packs, I'd say the most punch in terms of delivering really fast results to people. And so with that, basically uh, you're running a very low intensity electrical current uh, between somewhere between two to six electrodes that are placed on different areas of the scalp, kind of depending on what, what we're training. And uh, basically someone, uh, you know, if, if they're deficient in one of the slower brain waves, we might stimulate uh, a slower frequency. And what's that, what that's doing is it's going to entrain the brain to, to produce that slower frequency that it's uh, kind of being delivered as a stimulus. Right. So, so the brain will entrain to that. Also, what's going to happen is increased blood flow is going to happen. Mm. Uh, we'll have increased blood flow, which results in better oxygenation, better delivery of nutrients to the brain. Right. So, so it, uh, yeah, it improves the biological functioning of the brain quite significantly, uh, both kind of on a electrical level with the brain waves uh, and then the blood flow. Also, uh, certain neurotransmitters such as GABA, which is the uh, uh, main kind of inhibitory neurotransmitter of the brain, uh, that will be increased at the site where uh, basically there's there's an anode and a cathode. So the, uh, the anode is kind of the positive electricity, um, and that's more stimulatory. So that'll usually result in a lot of glutamate release. Right. So glutamate's an amino acid neurotransmitter mm -hmm. that's excitatory to the brain. Yeah. Whereas the other one, GABA being uh, the main inhibitory one. So it's kind of the, the yin and yang sort of deal of the brain. So it'll alter kind of the, the balance of those neurotransmitters too. So it's working in a lot of different ways, but yeah, that that's kind of how it will work to improve brain functioning. And so these, these are improvements in brain function. Are they kind of like, say, if you had depression, you might see a less depression or would it be if you had like low energy would improve your energy? Like I'm trying to understand like how, how this kind of a uh, lovely human circuitry machine that you would hook people up to, like what, what actually is the, the direct benefits to the person get, getting that treatment? It definitely depends on what protocol we're running them on. So yeah. if, if someone is very anxious and hyper aroused, mm. we might put them on a, a very slow brainwave protocol that's going to make them feel very, you know, very relaxed. They might even fall asleep during the session. Mm. Um, you know, so that could happen if we're, you know, working with someone who really struggles to concentrate or pay attention, they might leave the session. If, if we're on a, doing kind of a more stimulatory protocol with them, they might leave the session feeling very like focused and energized. I'll give you a, a, just an example for when I, uh, for a time I was doing a lot of these neurostimulation sessions on myself. Like a mad scientist should. Exactly. You gotta, gotta play with the technology that I, that I research. Right. So yeah, yeah I, uh, I would do kind of one of the, one of the findings from my brain map was a bit of slowing in the left prefrontal cortex, mm. which is I, uh, in kind of my research, I realized that it was really critical for verbal fluency. Mm. And that was something I always kind of struggled with previously, as far as like, you know, kind of remembering words or just like struggling to kind of put together sentences, you know, and kind of just stuttering over and stumbling over words. Mm. So I would notice that I would stimulate 
that part of my brain. Hmm. And just like from, from the beginning of the session to the end, you know, I could be on a conversation with someone like on the phone. Yeah. And at first, you know, I'm kind of like trying to, you know, figure out what word to say and, and, you know, just kind of having that difficulty with the verbal fluency. Yeah. By the end of the session, I'd be like playing on my phone, talking to the other person, just not even thinking about, you know, so that's just, that, that was super cool to notice that. Um, and then it was just kind of a cumulative benefit each time I would uh, continue doing sessions and continuing to, to train that part of my brain to produce kind of a faster frequency yeah. that resulted in better and better verbal fluency. Right. Okay. So it, it's one of those things where there's a, a wide application for the way that this could be used. I, now I've kind of got my brain going. It could be used for people that have had stroke problems or it could be used for someone that's disabled as well as people mm-hmm. with more cognitive based problems as well oh yeah yeah i mean there's there's tons of applications in terms of like psychiatry and neurology have been using these technologies for for a while now right but what we're what we're starting to see uh happen now and what what my business uh, roscoe's wetsuit neuro what we're all about is you kind of taking these technologies into a peak performance wellness sort of setting. Yeah. So, you know, there, there's such a wide variety, you know, it, it, cause it, it benefits people who have, you know, specific disorders or, you know, dysregulation of their brain, but it can also benefit some, you know, just someone who comes in with a pretty healthy brain, hmm. who's just wanting to increase their performance, you know, yeah. in the same way, you know, you might go to work out, you know, and, and, build muscle and burn fat at the gym, even if, you know, you're not severely overweight or have some sort of disease, yeah. you might just do that to improve your health. Right. So that's, in my opinion, I think kind of people focusing on brain health is going to be sort of the next frontier. Yeah, most definitely. There's all this stuff like nootropics and all that kind of stuff. So I, I'm kind of gathering that in conjunction with nootropics and with neurophysiological, I hope that's the right word, neurophysiological kind of treatments, you could basically kind of hack your brain. Exactly, exactly. So the brain that you have is not the brain that you're going to always have in the future because mm. due to the brain's inherent neuroplasticity, which is its ability to change and reorganize itself, rewire itself over time, yeah. uh, the brain the brain can actually improve its functioning. Mm. So certain things uh, that you know are problematic for someone right now, whether that be, you know, their, their attention or focus or, you know, struggling with mood or their interpersonal relationships, really, really anything that, that goes back to the brain, uh, that can all be kind of hacked as you, as you said, if you know what you're doing and uh, are giving the brain kind of the right nutrients, you know, all of this kind of really starts with like, I think diet, you know, exercise, sleep, really making sure all those kind of foundational things are taken care of, Mm. giving the brain uh, kind of the best chance to, to have all of the nutrients and, and rest that it needs to really perform at its peak. But yeah, going into like nootropics, you can, you can definitely uh, modify and enhance various different aspects of your brain Mm. um, with some of these, these compounds. And, and some of these are, are ones that we've already been using. Yeah. Uh, pe- people might not clap, like n- even have heard the term nootropic before, but yeah. if you drink a cup of coffee in the morning, yeah. 
caffeine is considered a nootropic. It, mm. It's a cognitive enhancer. It's neuroprotective. Uh, same deal with like nicotine. Mm. So even though nicotine usually has a bad, you know, association with, with cigarettes and tobacco yeah. and those, those things, you know, definitely contain all the carcinogens and smoke that you, you definitely don't want in terms of your, your cognitive health mm. or over overall physical health, but nicotine, uh, by itself, say like in gum or patches, uh, or lozenges yeah. can actually be really uh, effective for the brain. The brain yeah. actually has what are called like nicotinic acetylcholine receptors. Right. So it's kind of nicotine's a perfect, a perfect key that fits into a lock in the brain yeah. uh, to stimulate production of uh, one of those neurotransmitters. Um, so yeah, it's it's super. Uh, you know, so, so some of those nootropics are just ones that have already been used for for a long period of time. Yeah. It's, it's really fascinating how our brain has all these receptors for all these different types of, you know, for, for lack of a better word, drugs and nutrients that exist on, on this planet. And it's kind of like you go to yourself, well, what? Like, you know what I mean? Like, how is this even a thing? Because it's like you said, people look at nicotine and go, oh, cigarettes are bad and all this kind of stuff. But then, you know, nicotine gives you energy and focus and all this kind of stuff, just like the same way coffee does. But it's a different type of focus. It's a different type of energy. And mm -hmm. so with neurophysiology oh god i'm gonna i'm gonna mess up this word so many times today neurophysiology would you be using both in kind of you know in tandem with each other at the same time or would you kind of be like you could you can just use one or the other type thing personally i stack them both together that's kind of how my, i start my mornings with okay. with a i do like half a half a thing of the nicotine lozenge you know have it just dissolve kind of where you would put uh, you know, chewing tobacco or dip, yeah. just kind of in the inside of your lip. I just have that dissolve and then make myself a cup of black coffee. Yeah. And that's, that's, I, I enjoy that combination. I think there's, it's kind of synergistic Yeah. for, for some people though, that might be a bit overstimulating. I mean, caffeine in general, sometimes people who are predisposed towards, you know, anxiety mm. uh, that can just kind of make that worse. So in those cases, you could add you uh, you could even add in kind of a third ingredient to that stack, which would be L-theanine, right. which is a calming amino acid found usually like in green tea. Mm. So if you pair that the L-theanine with the caffeine, yeah, that is that's a great synergy right there because it kind of takes away the jitters uh, that you get with the caffeine, but still preserves all the the beneficial kind of cognitive enhancing effects. Yeah. And do you have a, a neuro... Oh God, I'm trying to think of the right word because there's so many different ways I can say this word. Is it neurophysiology routine or is it a neurophysiological routine? I'm going to mess this word up a lot, but do you have like a regular routine that you do with neurophysiology in the morning? Like you said, you do with, you know, having a nicotine lossage and a coffee type thing. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's plenty of wacky tools that I play around with. Um, just trying to think like oftentimes I'll start my day by, by doing something called audio visual entrainment, okay. which is a technology I work with in my business, mm. which is basically where you're, you're wearing headphones mm -hmm. and you're wearing glasses. Yeah. And then basically there's a specific frequency of light and, uh, tones that are being pulsed you know, into your ears and through your eyes yeah. that will entrain the brain to a specific uh, frequency. Mm. So that's something that I, I kind of use on a regular basis. 
trying to get sunlight in the morning, like, you know, is a great way to just like when, when uh, the the sun actually hits uh, certain receptors in your eye, it actually triggers the production of more uh, serotonin and dopamine, Mm -hmm. which are kind of, you know, serotonin being really crucial for mood and dopamine uh, for kind of our drive motivation, uh, you know, craving too, but, but you definitely need, uh, you know, those are definitely good ones to, to kind of get right first thing in the morning because yeah. they kind of tell the, the brain, all right, you know, it's, it's daytime time to wake up time to get started. Right. So, so I definitely try to always get a bit of sun, just 15, 20 minutes of walking around outside. Yeah. Uh, it's a little difficult in a place like Oregon in the winter. Yeah. Um, but there's, I use like a UVB lamp, yeah. uh, in, in the winter and just look at that for a few minutes um, uh, to deal with that. But yeah, I think sunshine that is so the sun is so in my opinion, the sun is like a, is basically a drug just in terms of how powerfully it impacts our physiology and neurophysiology. I think that's, that's such an important element. Uh, and then just movement, I think just, just getting, you know, pairing say, you know, my, getting some sunshine just with a brisk walk in the morning Mm. is, is a great way to, to just kind of wake the brain up too. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of like, you know, people can each kind of figure out their, their own routines, but Mm. I would say in, in general, trying to avoid the phone first thing, Yeah. you know, trying, trying to like, whether, you know, whether you want to like meditate or write, you know, in a journal Mm. or just take a walk outside doing something, doing something that's not going to immediately kind of hyper stimulate you, you know, with social media, that's, it becomes kind of this like, you know, like rabbit hole that, that you, if you look at, you know, so many people look at their phones, the first thing when they wake up and then it's just like, you're all, you're already in this different state of mind and you're Mm -hmm. not, you're not really focused on yourself. You're paying attention to what's going on in in the, the world and other people's world and, yeah, yeah, to me personally, I think it's, and a lot of people talk about this, it's just, you know, kind of best to to do a routine where you're really kind of grounding yourself and focusing on what you need to do for the day. Yeah. So with Roscoe's wetsuit, I hope I've said the full name of your of your business. Is that the full name of the business? Uh, Roscoe's wetsuit neuro. It was just that third word. Ah, okay. Yep. So with Roscoe's wetsuit neuro, you guys are trying to, bring neurophysiological practices to people or are you trying to teach them like routines that they can do that would improve their neuropsychology? Like I'm curious. Yeah. So both. So I, uh, we do neuro health coaching. So where we take people who want to utilize diet, um, exercise, nootropics, you know, and will really help guide people into uh, kind of a regimen that'll work for them in the same way that you know, say you, you might hire a physical trainer to get in the best shape of your life. And they might tell you exactly what to, to eat, when to eat, what to work at, you know, what to do in your workout, when to do it. Yeah. I, I sort of take that approach, but specifically for the brain. Mm. So there is that coaching element of, of Roscoe's wetsuit neuro, but I'd say that the core of what we do is, is actually bringing these neurotechnologies to uh, to a peak performance and wellness setting. So, uh, so clients will basically, they, they, we start off always with a brain map. Yeah. Um, just start with a recording that gives us an assessment. 
talk with people, um, mm-hmm. you know, have people fill out, you know, it's really important to get their full kind of uh, medical history, psychiatric history. Yeah. Uh, you know, if they've had any traumatic brain injuries that can, that can be, you know, play a big role in all this, but we're really kind of gaining, you know, doing that assessment step yeah. and then I'll basically put together different protocols using the different neuromodulation technologies, mm. a couple of which we discussed, like the neurostimulation, the audiovisual entrainment, right. also neurofeedbacks, another one that that we'll do. And we're basically training the brain to produce different electrical rhythms mm. uh, based on each person's unique neurophysiology. Right. So a protocol you know, that, that might work well for you, Sam might actually make my symptoms worse. Right. It's all based on that, you know, the brain map and what we're hoping to achieve. Yeah. It it's, that's, that's what, you know, it's, it's very targeted based on each person's own brain. Yeah. So that's kind of our approach mm-hmm. and yeah, in, in the Miami Fort Lauderdale area, that is something that's available to people. Um, they can order Basically, I'll, I'll come straight to your door or straight to your business and set you up with, with all of this stuff and kind of in the same way that a, that a trainer would. Yeah. So what, what is something that, you know, me and the listener can do today or tonight or whenever, what time they're listening to this, you know, that would improve our neurophysiology without having a kit or anything like that? Like, I don't know if yeah. it's possible, but is there something that we can do to see like a 1% improvement maybe? Yeah, I'll I'll tell you something that'll take two minutes, which go is on. just if you if you go outside and sprint as right. fast as you can for you know say 40, 40 seconds to a minute, mm. and then rest and then do another sprint. Yeah, for that that same length of time, like just going all out. That's been shown to to really strongly stimulate uh, a key protein called uh, BDNF. Right. Uh, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, yeah. um, which drives the creation of uh, new brain cells, a process known as neurogenesis, mm. uh, creation of new brain cells and connections amongst those cells. So that's that's a really, like anyone can, can kind of do that just right away. And it's just a, oftentimes like the forms of exercise that are, in my opinion, most powerful to the brain are, are just very short kind of bursts. Right. Like I'm also a big fan of like high intensity interval training. Mm. And these types of training are, you know, promoting more blood flow, a higher heart rate and all these kind of things. So uh, what I'm gathering is that uh, having better oxygen flow through your body will improve your brain health in general. Exactly. Yeah. Better, better blood flow to the brain almost always correlates with, with better functioning. So in the same way, like if, if something's kind of heart healthy, you know, in the same way that they talk about it, it being so important that your heart gets, gets enough blood flow. And, mm. you know, so, so anything that's kind of usually heart healthy is going to tend to be brain healthy as well. Right. So that's one of the key things of, of boosting uh, blood flow to the brain is going to massively increase uh, oxygen uptake and really be able to deliver all of the, the nutrients that the brain needs to perform optimally. Yeah. And kind of following on from you talking about the brain and it working optimally, do you see there being a point when, you know, humans and machine work together as in not in how we do it now where we, you know, the, the direct input method is our, is our hands and maybe our voice, but is in just straight from the brain into, you know, maybe not a computer like the ones we're using now, but some kind of device. Yeah, I would say absolutely. Um, there, 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, what Neuralink is doing, what Elon Musk is doing, I think is super exciting. I, I'm not sure, I, I don't personally know enough about, you know, kind of AI and those sort of com- human, uh, the brain computer interfaces. Yeah, uh, It's not, I'm not planning on utilizing that with the work that I do, at least not, not anytime soon. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it definitely brings up a lot of like ethical issues potentially as far as, you know, what, what happens if there, you know, if we have these like sort of chips implanted our, in our brain or whatever, and then there's malfunctioning or, you know, like, I don't know. I think it, there's a lot of really cool opportunities, but at the same time, we're, we're kind of playing with fire here. So yeah, we need to make sure before any of things, you know, definitely before any of these devices are actually like approved there, I'm sure they'll go through a thorough vetting process, but we still might be, you know, I'm not sure how long a decade, couple decades out from, from that kind of like sci-fi sort of thing. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if that really happens like in the future. Yeah. Okay. Well, it was nice to get your perspective on that, Toby, because you're definitely one of the, the more qualified people to talk on something like that. Then even though you say you don't know much in it, you definitely know a lot more than me and probably the listener does. But I I can gather from, you know, the bits of research I've done in you and that kind of stuff that you've done a lot of experimentations. And obviously the ones that go right, you would, you know, be singing the praises about and, and implementing them. But can you give me an example of like an experiment that went wrong? Obviously not if you've killed someone or something crazy like that, <laughs> but you know, something that you thought would work and it didn't work and, and what you learned from that process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, trying to think, I mean, just in sort of working on hacking my own brain, mm. I, I found kind of uh, what was one of the, the things I was trying to stimulate my occipital lobe, um, which is the very back part of, uh, uh, the brain, um, kind of, uh, as far back as you can get. Mm. And I, I placed a couple electrodes there and stimulated the frequency that, you know, I was shown to be deficient in mm. on my brain map and expecting that to like really improve my ability to, uh, to focus and potentially coordination too mm. is a, but all that happened was I, I kind of experienced just like really like weird kind of vertigo and like it, it didn't really help whatsoever. I just like kind of felt very odd yeah. after the session. So, and that was, that's just an example of like where, you know, theoretically based on the brain map, I needed, you know, my, my brain could have used more of that certain frequency, Yeah. but, but for whatever reason, my brain just didn't really like that. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's, that's just illustrates how this is like, really what I do is, is both an art and a science. Yeah. Cause I can't say with, with any person's brain map, I can't, I can't read their mind. I can't say, you know, you for sure have this, you, you have that. It's not the, the EEG or the QEEG we always say is, is not, you know, a diagnostic tool in and of itself. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's super critical, I think, to be able to, to figure out how to um, how to modify, you know, it, what we're doing based on just how a person is responding. Even if mm. even if we've designed a protocol that seems as though it's going to really help someone, yeah. If if even if their brain, even if the the changes in their brain are are looking good, yeah. sometimes if if people don't report positive changes, then it's you know we have to kind of 
reassess and, and figure out, you know, something different at that point. Yeah. So, so what does the average kind of client or person who comes to your business, what, what do they, what are they looking for? Are they like, I want to be able to read 10 books in 10 minutes or something wild like that? Like, I'm just curious, what, what do they come to you for? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of like professionals, people who are just kind of, you know, burnt out with, you know, or just way overstressed with their jobs and families trying to juggle, juggle a million things at once. I think mm. kind of those, those sort of type A sort of high achievers are definitely kind of the, the people who sort of uh, have gravitated towards this yeah. in like a, you know, peak performance type of setting. Mm. Uh, so oftentimes it's people like wanting to kind of like improve their performance and they're thinking like, all right, we need to like, you know, speed my brain up so I can do even more and more and more and run off like even less sleep. Yeah. But it's, it's like, you know, kind of paradoxically, like what often we'll do with those sort of clients is actually, uh, they actually really need uh, those slower brainwave frequencies stimulated, um, which, which will actually help them get a lot better kind of restorative sleep, uh, be able to feel more relaxed and not, so hyper stressed all the time, which is taking a toll on, on their nervous system. Yeah. So yeah, oftentimes, you know, it'll be people looking to kind of maximize, you know, their, their ability to, you know, whether they're a student or, you know, a lawyer or doctor, just maximize their, their performance. But yeah, also, also people looking just for, for their energy levels. Uh, and that's, that's something, if you improve blood flow to the brain and increase brain oxygenation, mm-hmm. that's, that's going to likely improve someone's, uh, someone's energy capacities too. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of a typical client I would say. So these high achieving people come to you and they're like, look, my life is you know too much for me. It's one of those ones where they're like, I need to, I need to be able to do more. And it's like, actually you need to be doing this and that will allow you to handle what you have going on right now. And from there, you'll be able to do more, but in a more kind of productive and relaxed way, I'm guessing. Yeah, exactly. There's uh, there's a really good book. Um, uh, blanking on the title. It's like something like, I believe it's called Slow Down to Speed Up. Right. Um, that's by, God, it's a really good book, but, but basically talking about how, um, yeah, oftentimes sort of doing practices such as meditation, mindfulness, yoga, uh, different ways to kind of slow slow the brain activity down a little bit mm-hmm. is actually going to kind of enable enable people to perform their best yeah. at the things that they're hoping to. Right. But yeah, it's it's sort of a counterintuitive approach. But yeah, I see. Okay, so you did you kind of study this stuff at university? Like, when was the first time you came across? this field of work you're now very well immersed in? I took a biopsychology class when I was an undergraduate that that was really fascinating to me where that was kind of where we learned about the biological basis of how the brain works on an electrical and chemical level. And that's where I first heard about like the EEG technology. Right. So I, I then started, uh, I was a research assistant at, a lab that utilized EEG mm. um, for its studies. So I became acquainted with that technology and began, yeah. you know, collecting and and kind of artifacting the data and, and looking at tons of people's kind of electrical rhythms of their brain. Mm. But 
it sort of then at that point I was like, okay, well, this is super cool that we're we're measuring this stuff. Yeah. But I didn't realize that there was actually this whole field of kind of neuromodulation and neurohacking yeah. where you can actually use different technologies to alter and improve that EEG data. Right. That was something that really wasn't discussed uh, at all in un- any of my uh, classes at university. Yeah. Um, not really even too much of my research lab because yeah. there's, there's definitely uh, kind of a division between like what, what, how this technology is used in sort of academia and for yeah. research and then how like clinicians and, you know, peak performance people are actually applying it in the real world. Uh, I realized that there's, it's kind of a, a, there's a big gap there. Yeah. So I became like more interested, even though the, the research component was super cool and really interesting to me, mm-hmm. I was more so like, okay, well, how can we actually change people's brainwaves uh, for the better yeah. and actually improve their lives. Mm. So that's, that's kind of that curiosity then led me to, to stumble into kind of the more specific work I'm doing now. Yeah. And I guess your goal is to improve people's lives. So by like your metrics and your research, what what is peak brain performance? You know, what is, what is the optimal way a brain should be working? Yeah, definitely um, a healthy balance of the different electrical rhythms. Right. So the brain, the brain isn't working too fast. It's not working too slow. It's able to kind of uh, change the. It's be able to fluctuate between producing the different brain waves based on you know what the demand is when when they need to be able to pay attention and read you know uh, a lot of pages. They can do that, but then being able to then you know, say when it's bedtime, being able to shift into those slower frequencies in order to get that deep restorative sleep. Mm. So it's really, really having a healthy balance of the different brain waves and having the ability to, to sort, uh, sort of shift in and out of, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you could sort of think of it as like the sympathetic nervous system being sort of the fight or flight kind of aroused, you know, doing things throughout the day yeah. and then the parasympathetic being kind of the rest and digest, yeah. uh, you know, what's, what's often being activated with this technology. Uh, so that's, yeah, I would say that's, that's definitely how it's usually employed. Yeah. And what's something that everybody or, you know, the majority of people do that to you is like, oh no, that is messing up your, your neuropsychology. Great question. I would say eating sugar. Mm. Sugar is one of the worst, you know, worst things for the brain. Uh, it's, you know, highly addictive, activates the same kind of reward circuitry that addictive drugs such as, you know, cocaine or methamphetamines activate. Mm. And it, sugar is just toxic to pretty much every cell in the body, right. but specifically brain cells. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, there's actually uh, researchers now who are terming, uh, they're calling Alzheimer's type three diabetes, right? Because there's such a strong connection between the el- the prolonged elevations in blood sugar mm-hmm. and kind of the the dementia uh, uh, effects that are going on with Alzheimer's. Yeah. So that's that's sort of how it you know for like how it impacts in the long term, but just in the short term, I mean, sugar is just kind of a a quick, cheap energy source that, you know, might give you a, you know, a brief elevation, you know, if you, you go to work and have a, you know, some donuts with, 
you know, with, with a bunch of sugar in your coffee, it's going to definitely like, you know, get you up and going, but it's going to lead to a crash. Yeah. So, so doing things to maintain kind of healthy blood sugar levels throughout the day. So I definitely am, I'm a fan of like kind of low carb, high fat, high, good fat diets. Yeah. Should like a ketogenic diet, I mm-hmm. think is really, really good for the brain. Yeah. But yeah, just that, that being the one thing, like just trying to avoid sugar, I think is, and obviously that's sugars in so many things and so many sauces and things that you wouldn't even think that, that contain sugar. So yeah. with our Western diet, you know, it's pretty, pretty darn hard to avoid sugar at this point. Can neurophysiology help with things like Alzheimer's? Can you, you know, put some nodes on someone's head or someone's arm and, and make waves in their head that can not reverse, but maybe lessen the types of effects of Alzheimer's and dementia? Yeah. So that's a lot of, a lot of researchers are looking to address that question right now. Mm. I talked to one guy uh, on my podcast, Dr. Michael Hamblin, yeah. who's, who's a researcher from Harvard and he has been studying the effects of uh, a, a different technology called photobiomodulation, right. which is basically using, uh, using light near infrared light to stimulate the mitochondria in the brain to produce yeah. more energy. Right. And and his work is is basically looking at photobiomodulation's effect on neurodegenerative conditions such as Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Mm. And he's published some really cool research indicating, you know, that uh, its effectiveness. Yeah. But yeah, with with all of these technologies, I would say there's there's definitely um, there's definitely studies going on. Mm-hmm. And I think what's you know th- those those sort of neurodegenerative conditions can be really really difficult if not impossible at this point to to reverse yeah but in terms of just slowing someone's cognitive decline yeah i think that there are going to be a lot of applications for this Mm. this technology so that's yeah i mean that's just like we've been talking about just such a wide array of different uses for this technology i think absolutely you know uh kind of seniors could could benefit quite a lot people who are kind of at risk mm. um but definitely prevention being the best sort of treatment rather than addressing the problem once once it's already occurring yeah okay so toby your line of work is very interesting very unique you know it's not every day you would walk down the street and meet someone who does what you do but clearly this line of work is something you're passionate about and something that brings you joy so what is it about your field of work that brings you the most joy? I think seeing people oftentimes who are just really struggling and don't have much hope that, you know, that, you know, when I tell people about, you know, we're, we're about to do this neurostimulation, oftentimes people be like, you're going to shock my brain or, you know, they're, they're thinking back to like the, you know, electro electroconvulsive therapy or whatever in the, mm. you know, 1950s or sixties or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so there's kind of some mis- misinformation there, but, you know, people seeing people who are just really struggling and then seeing just how, how both the electrical data changes over time with, with the different neuromodulation, um, therapies, mm-hmm. and then also just seeing how, you know, they're, they, they report improvements in such a wide array of different symptoms and just their quality of life. 
you know, I, I was working with this technology at a substance abuse and rehabilitation center in South Florida. Yeah. And there were a lot of patients who told me, you know, that neurostimulation or neurotherapy kind of saved their lives. Uh, and, you know, I know that's sound might, might sound hyperbolic, but it's, you know, oftentimes people have, you know, suffering from addictions or mental health conditions who, who've tried tons of different medications that haven't really worked for them. Mm you know, utilizing or kind of, uh, working somewhat with these, uh, this neurotechnology can sometimes be hugely beneficial. So I think that's the coolest part and most, most rewarding for me is, you know, just that, cause it's like, I became a believer when I started playing around with this technology and saw how I could enhance my own cognition yeah. with it. And then, so then that sort of, you know, also seeing that in, in so many of the clients and patients that I work with, it's, it's a really cool thing. Yeah. And what is kind of the barrier to entry or what's stopping your field of work from becoming part of regular healthcare plans? I would definitely probably say the big pharmaceutical companies. I mean, they're, they're making tons of money off of, you know, psychiatric medications and they have tons of money to fund studies, you know, with, you know, for future medications, mm. there's, there's not that kind of like, there's no, no, uh, there's not the equivalent of big pharma in, you know, neurotechnology. Mm. So there's, there's not a ton of funding for these sort of things uh, for these kind of, I guess, at the, uh, at this time more kind of alternative approaches. Right. So I, I think it's, it's very much sort of a political thing, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah. Also just, you know, the technology, it, its use is sort of uh, the, it, it's in its infancy in the sense of being used in like a peak performance or wellness setting. Right. Cause it's like, you know, people, people, you know, may have used this technology neurofeedback, you know, is available pretty much in any, you know, decent sized city. There'll be at least, you know, one or two neurofeedback practitioners, mm. but people actually, being able to use this technology in a peak performance setting is is definitely a very new application. Yeah. So I think I think just as you know more and more people experience the benefits that neuromodulation can offer and they tell their friends and family and coworkers and the word spreads that that this can be so helpful and effective I think we're definitely going to see it move much more into the mainstream. Here's where to find Toby online. For the listeners, there's a, a special discount if people go to Roscoe's wetsuit neuro.com slash people explained. They can find a discount code there on that landing page. So if people are interested in the, the neuro health coaching, they can find out about it there. And there's also a free or a complimentary 15 minute phone conversation that people can have with me if they want to find out more about what neuro health coaching consists of. People can check Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro out on Instagram or Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro Twitter, which is Wetsuit Podcast. So people can connect with me there. Also on YouTube, there's a YouTube channel, Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro. And you can see every day we're, we're posting clips. You know, there's some cool three to five minute clips that people can check out and just educate themselves about all this different neurotechnology on the, on the YouTube channel too. Thank you for listening to People Explained. New episodes come out every Monday. We would appreciate it if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and shared this episode with a friend.